0: How are we doing, church? We good? Man, it's great to see everybody here today. I want to take a minute. want to welcome everybody who's watching online right now. And, of course, everybody who's over at that South Side, South Campus. South Campus, we see you and we love you. And the best way we can show you that is by clapping for you. So come on, everybody. Put your hands together. Welcome everybody who's watching with us. We're glad that you are. Thanks for being here today. Uh, before we jump into our content, which I'm really excited about, uh, I want to encourage you on baptisms happening next Sunday night. Baptism is such a big deal. Uh, it is the outward expression of what God is doing in your heart. It is not the way that you get to Jesus. It's not, it's not the way that you experience salvation, but it is a demonstration of it. And so, and it's a party for us at Summer Park. So it's a celebration. It really, really is. You will love it. It will be meaningful for you. Uh, why do we do it? Real quick, we do it because God commanded us to. God tells us to do it. Jesus himself was baptized. And as well, it is really a powerful moment. It just really is to share with family and friends to go public with our faith. And so we'll encourage you to do that. Sign up. Be a part of it. You will be glad that you did. It's hard. It's one of those things where, man, once you do this, you'll know. Every time I talk to somebody after baptism, they're like, man, that really, it's it's so unique because it's just literally, it's people, it's water but there's something powerful about it, and so I want to encourage you to take that step. You'll be glad that you did, and it's, uh, it's going to be awesome to celebrate with everybody who does. All right, well, we are uh, we are in week two of our forward campaign, and this is one of, if not the most important seasons of our church, okay? This is, this is it. We are, we are taking a giant step forward from leasing two facilities and moving into bringing both campuses together in one larger owned facility that, that will be ours, a permanent home for Summit Park. And man, are we excited about it. Come on, church, aren't we pumped? We're pumped. So very, very excited about it. You have a forward brochure on your chair. If you haven't taken a look at that, you can look at that right now uh, and and, and walk through some of the the, the illustrations. You can walk through the the, the information there. Very, very excited about what the Lord is doing is provided this this facility. We really believe that God is giving us a very unique moment, okay? So we're, we're moving from two lease facilities now to two existing buildings, nine acres of ground, Currently, in phase one, there'll be 41,000 square feet of of, uh, ministry space. In phase two, up to 93,000 square feet, which is just incredible. We're going to do counseling center. We're going to have a great place for students and kids and young adults and moms and dads. It's just going to be a great place for people to grow and to learn and experience all that God has. And man, is it amazing. Um, and so we're pumped about it, very excited. You can check out our online brochure for more information. We also have like a little rendering video that walks you through it. We showed that last week. And if you missed last week, I want to encourage you, go online and check it out because we laid the foundation for what we're talking about today last week. But one of the ideas that just gripped us, one of the verses that is really, what we've been centering our thoughts on uh, around this time is Esther chapter 4. Quick story in Esther. She's chosen to be the, the new queen of Babylon, all right And the old queen got kicked out because she didn't do what the king said. so things were very tenuous. It was a very uh, it was a very sketchy type of role. you weren't guaranteed much as the queen. but, but Esther, this is a girl named Esther, and she wins the Miss Babylon beauty pageant. And because she wins, she gets to be the queen. And it's true stories in the Bible. and so she becomes she becomes the queen and uh, but through a turn of events, there's this guy who's trying to take out all of the Jews. He's just a wicked advisor to the king. He's trying to take out all the Jews. And Esther's uncle comes to her and says, hey, listen, maybe, just maybe, you're in the position that you're in because you, you could do something about this situation. And he says these words. You've probably heard these even if you don't go to church, never been in church. You've probably heard this before. But it says this. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time As this for such a time as this he's basically saying hey maybe just maybe you're beautiful not just to be beautiful maybe just maybe you got chosen to be the Queen of Babylon maybe just maybe God used all of that to put you into that space so that right now as all of the Jews are getting threatened to be taken out maybe just maybe you've been given your opportunity to do something about this situation Maybe, just maybe, you've come into your royal position for such a time as this. And I really believe, as we've been praying about this building and praying about all that God's doing, I believe that verse is for us, okay? So I believe God is giving us this this unbelievable opportunity. We're talking about nine acres in the best place location in our city, I believe that God is setting us up because he wants more people who are far from God to find and follow Jesus. God's not done. God's not done. And and he certainly wants to give us a space to grow and a great place for our kids and, and more connection and more discipleship and literally is building is open up opportunities for all of that but he's also opening it up so people can find and follow jesus and so we're in a two-year campaign we're going to take pledge cards at the end if you haven't jumped in yet made a pledge i want to encourage you to do that you can fill out that pledge card and and put a number put a number down put your name there and we'll collect those at the end uh, but i'd love to have you jump in with this this is a two-year campaign so At the end of 2023, we're going to wrap up our campaign so you can spread out over three tax uh, years, and it's just an opportunity. It's an opportunity to have a a share in souls, all right, a share in souls that are going to be impacted in our space, and so it's going to be awesome. Um, But as we we center our thoughts around uh, this idea, the forward campaign and generosity, what God's doing in our church, I want to give you... I want to to look at one of the most quintessential passages on generosity in the Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, okay? 2 Corinthians chapter 8, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn there. If you have your phones, I want to encourage you to pull that up on your phone. You're going to want to walk through this verse, because I'm literally going to go verse by verse on this and explain what's happening, because it does require some explaining. And as you understand the meaning of it, I think that you're going to see that that it's, it's pretty powerful, and my hope is that... For all of us who walk away with a greater understanding of, of generosity and, and a greater desire to be a part of what God's doing. So 2 Corinthians chapter 8, it really is, it really is Paul the Apostle's Are You Kidding Me moment, okay? So I don't know if you've ever had Are You Kidding Me moments in your life. Have you ever had one of those where you're like, I can't believe this has happened? You're like, Are you kidding me? Have you ever had that? Like when someone, you know, you're at the, the watch party for the Chiefs game and somebody's over at the at the queso and they double dipping. Come on somebody, you know that's gross. You're like, are you kidding me? You ever had one of those or like you know, driving driving slow in the in the left lane. Just as a public service announcement, the left lane is the passing lane. Okay? So I just just throw that out there. It's it's that way in every state, every county, every municipality. The left lane is the passing lane. And so how many of you know that like it could be like someone's driving slow, you know, in the left lane. You're like, are you kidding me? How many believe like that should be like you go straight to jail? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like pull you over. I'm not, talk- I'm not talking an extended stay. Three, four days at the max. Learn your lesson and get out of the left lane, okay? So <laughs> driving slow in the left lane. My three-year-old gives me uh, are you kidding me moments all the time, all the time. I'm just like, are you kidding me? She's so feisty, just so, uh, just so unique. She's just a little firecracker. But, um, but she, uh, last night, this is a true story. I you know, was spending time with her, and, uh, gave her bath, and, and it was putting her to bed. And, and I just love that, you know, that that time, just tucking her in. It's just, so, it's just so sweet. And so I was like, hey, you know, I thought I'd sing. You know, We pray, and I thought I'd sing to her. I was like, hey, you want me to sing you a little song? And I was like, what song do you want me to sing? And she goes, Aladdin. And I was like, well, that's good. I happen to know all of Aladdin. Uh, uh, true story. I happen to know the entire soundtrack. So I'm ready. Let's go. And I start singing A Whole New World, okay? I just start like, I can show you the world. And I try to like make it like as theater-esque as possible, you know, get into character. And I start going, shining, shimmering, splendid. And she's just like, she goes, no, 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 dad, I wanna watch it on your phone. I don't wanna hear you sing. (laughs) True story. I'm like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? That that's what Paul has. He has an are you kidding me moment in in 2 Corinthians in uh, chapter 8. And really the whole book is are you kidding me because Paul Paul planted this church. That means he started this church. And he, he spent about 18 months doing it. So these are his people. He knows them well and he's writing he's writing to them because They've got some issues, okay? This church has got some issues. If you're reading first and second Corinthians, you're like, whew, these guys, if he's having to walk them through all of this, <laughs> they're pretty messed up. And it's an encouragement because how many of you know we're all imperfect people on an imperfect journey? So you're like, man, if God loves the Corinthians, then he sure loves me. Literally, that's what happens <laughs> when you read the first and second Corinthians. But literally, these guys, they're they're. They're really, they've got some issues. And so he writes 1 Corinthians to say, hey, stop with the sexual morality, the idolatry. He's like, you guys got to stop doing this stuff. Like, it's not good. And he's like, you guys got to address this. And they reject his letter. So he's like, oh, no, you didn't. You know, he's like, oh, no, you didn't. So he shows up in person and he starts meeting with people all right and starts you know really walking them through like nope you're wrong you're wrong you're wrong you're wrong we, let's get back on track here okay so he comes to find out that that he did he went too far with some people and they got extra hurt and they're offended and so he writes 2 Corinthians in a in part to say hey listen i love you guys i hope we're all good group hug come on somebody and, but still you've got some issues and you got to speak to these issues. Part of their issues was that they were, they were wealthy, okay? So they, they, they had a lot in Corinth. So they had wealth, and that's not an issue. But making their lives all about their wealth is. And he starts pushing that. He starts pushing on that. He's like, you guys are greedy. You guys are making yourself about wealth. And, and you, you don't even realize it. And part of the reason they reject Paul is based on money. They didn't want to hear from Paul. They discredited Paul because Paul, uh, they they were looking to teachers that were like good looking, articulate, and wealthy. That's all they wanted to hear from. He's like, oh, you have money. Ah, then you can speak to me. Paul, he, uh, well, he wasn't any of those things, okay? (laughs) So he wasn't very articulate, wasn't attractive, and he didn't have any money. So they're like, Paul, I mean, hey, it's great, but you know, you started the church, but thanks for the memories. We're looking for somebody else. And he's like, are you kidding me? You guys wouldn't even be saved without me. You wouldn't have even found Christ without me. I I should be able to speak to you. And so they had gotten their stuff off track. So it's an are you kidding me moment. And he's like, I've got to speak to some of this. So he's pushing on some things. He's teaching them throughout 2 Corinthians. And one of the things that he's teaching them is about greed. And greed, greed keeping us from experiencing all that God has for us. And he says the answer to greed is generosity. He says, greed, your your obsession with money is causing you to miss out on God. You're missing God. He goes, so I want to encourage you to think differently. I want you to think kingdom. I want you to think generously. All right, so we're going to walk through this. 2 Corinthians 8. Now, true story. I was getting ready to prepare this week's message and I was gonna go, I was actually gonna preach 2 Corinthians 9. So I was typing in Second Corinthians 9, but I, I, mis- I mistyped it and I, I, just, I, I did 2 Corinthians 8. And I, I opened up Second Corinthians 8 and I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. So Second Corinthians 9 will come next week, okay? <laughs> this is absolutely amazing. And and Paul unpacks this. There's so much meat in here. I just want to walk through these verses with you, uh, draw some observations, make some conclusions, and then hopefully walk away more like Jesus as a result. All right. So if you're ready, jump in, say I am. I am. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1, says this. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Okay, so let me pause, put a pin in that. Again, follow along in your Bibles because you want to see this. I want you to watch this. But he starts talking about these Macedonian churches. Now, what he's doing in this moment, he's trying to raise money for these Judean churches that are experiencing a famine. So there's a famine in Judea, and the church is really taking it hard. And so Paul's trying to raise money for these Judean churches, and he's writing to... Corinth to help raise some money, but they're stingy. They don't want to let it go. They got that Scrooge thing going on. They don't want to let it go. And so he's like, hey, I want to tell you about the Macedonian churches who have actually partnered with us. Watch this. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. That's amazing when you think about it. He's like, they're going through a difficult situation, They don't have much money and yet they're saying we can't wait to be a part of what God's doing we can't wait to give they're going through it they don't have much and yet they're giving all they have watch he says for I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability now let's let's think about what he's doing here he's actually telling them to compare themselves to another church imagine if we did that today Imagine, we be a little weird, right? We'd are like, hey, look at those guys over there. They're doing a much better job than we are. Like, that's kind of what he's doing. Like, he's like, hey, for a moment, think about this. Now, let me just say this. In Christianity, we don't like to make comparisons. In fact, like, I've been thinking, I'm working on a message that I, I'm gonna preach on comparison because I think comparison is a trap I think it'd be very dangerous. I think social media, our world today, especially, very, very dangerous. Gets you, you know, you know how that is, right? You're you having a good day until you opened up your phone and started scrolling, and and realized, you know, how your life stinks compared to everybody else's, right? You know, I mean, you're like, you liked your kitchen until you saw their kitchen, <laughs> you know, right? I mean, you, you know, you 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 enjoyed your vacation until you saw their vacation, you. You liked your family until <laughs> so you saw their family. <laughs> you know, like, like it can be really, really bad and super dangerous. And I think we have to be super careful. But Paul says this: I actually want you to compare yourself to this church that's crushing it in generosity. They're crushing it. Hey, I want you to. I want you to look at who you are and what you have, and look at them because they understand something very significant. I believe it's this. All that we have in this life is a gift from God for our joy to his glory and the benefit of others. I really believe that's true. I really believe that all that we have in this life is a gift from God for our joy to his glory and the benefit of others. The Corinthians needed to grow in this a little bit. So 2 Corinthians chapter 8, let's jump back, verse 3. Watch what he says. Entirely on their own they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the lord's people this is a poor church that's in the midst of a severe trial and they're like but we heard about those judean churches they're going through a famine how can we be apart paul He didn't have to ask them for anything. He didn't have to pass the plate. They said entirely on their own. They're like, hey, we wanna be a part of this. Talk about a generous heart. It's amazing. They see this as an opportunity, not as an obligation. And Paul's saying, look at these guys. Verse five, and they exceeded our expectations. You know, you're like, oh, man, we're going to get that offering from the Macedonian churches. I mean, we know they're poor. We know they're going through a hard trial. It's probably not going to be very big. You know, I mean, let's just be honest. We're not expecting a whole lot. No, they exceeded our expectations. They gave, and how did they do this? This is is amazing. This verse, pay attention. This is so good. This is rich right here. They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord. And then by the will of God, also to us. Do you know what he's doing? He's laying a prescription for life on all things. Right there. He just kind of just tucks that little nugget in. He's like, do you know how things work in this life? Do you know how they're supposed to work? Give yourself to God, and then, and then everything else will follow. Get, align yourself with God, God's thoughts, God's viewpoints, God's agenda, and then everything else will follow. How many of you know there's an agenda out there? There's about a million of them that the enemy wants you to be distracted by, but God wants you to be on his agenda. He wants you to be about his kingdom. You align with God, and then everything else follows suit. Everything else will make sense when you align yourself with God. So he says, that's what these guys are doing. The Macedonian churches, they're aligning themselves with God, and then, and then, everything else is following. So verse six, so we urge Titus just as, this is Paul's helper, one of Paul's friends, just as he had earlier made a beginning to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. He's like, so I send Titus to encourage you guys on this to take an offering. He goes, but since you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and complete earnestness and in the love we have kindled in you, So he starts telling them like, hey, you guys are good at this, you're good at that, you're good at this, you're good at that, you're good at this. Do you know what he's doing? He's buttering them up, all right, (laughs) right? This is what he's doing. He's like, you guys are really good at at speech and and faith and and knowledge and earnestness and in love. He goes that we've kindled in you, so he's kind of taking actually some credit there. He's like, you know, the love that you have that I started, don't forget. He's like, remember that. So you know what he's doing? He's giving him the old coaching sandwich. You guys know what I'm talking about? Leaders, parents, the coaching sandwich. Start with a compliment. You're really really good at these things. But here you need to grow in this. And this is what he's doing right here. He says, he says, "You're good at so many things, so next verse, see that you also excel in this grace of giving." He says, "Excel. Stretch yourself." Be good at giving. Now, he's not just talking about generosity in general, okay? So he's not just basically saying, be more generous. Like, hey, if, you know, share your Andy's frozen custard with your spouse, okay? He's not saying that. Like, don't be stingy and Gollum-like and like, no, it's mine. <laughs> you know, don't be like that. He says, share it. But he's saying, he's not just saying share your Andy's or that last slice of pizza. He's saying, he's saying, Excel in the grace of giving. And the context of this is very clear. It's not just be more generous. He says, says, give to the kingdom. Give to the kingdom. Now, there really is no other way to interpret this. I'll just be honest with you. There really is no way to interpret this. And as a pastor, it's uncomfortable for me to even say it. Can I just be honest with you? I don't like, I don't like... Uh, generosity messages. I don't like them. They're not my favorite. I don't look forward to them. Typically, I've not looked forward to them. Um, I have to pray a lot, you know, a lot more than I would actually spend praying for a message. It's just, it's just hard. I just, I just don't like it. Sometimes it can come across self-serving. But you know what? You see, Paul, he doesn't shy away from this at all. He leans all the way into this and he tells us why in the next verse. Verse eight, I'm not commanding you, now, this is very interesting because all throughout Corinthians, Paul's commanding these Corinthians left and right. <laughs> he's like, you stop sleeping with him and you stop worshiping that false idol and you stop doing this, you stop doing that. He's like, he's, he's not afraid to say, listen, stop doing that. But he's not commanding. He says, but I wanna give you a test. I wanna give you a test. Watch this, this the, the verbiage is fascinating. I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. I mean, if you're reading the context, I've been walking you through this. There's no other way to interpret this. It's like, I want to, I want to test how much, how much do you really love God? I want to test it by comparing it with how much these other Macedonian churches are showing that they love God by their generosity. You could, say it, you could say it this way. He's saying that our level of generosity reveals how much we trust God and how much we are committed to the things of God. You could also say your level of kingdom generosity doesn't get you to God, but it does reveal how much God's kingdom has gotten to you. That's what he's saying. Have you ever heard the phrase, put your money where your mouth is? Paul's basically saying, put your money where your faith is. That's what he's saying. And I, I mean, this is just a fascinating thing. And he does it unashamedly. And he's saying the Macedonians are doing this so well. Look to them. But man, he ups the ante. And that's why I like the Apostle Paul. Man, he's, he's making this argument. He's walking through it. And then he's like, now I'm going to take it to the nth degree. You look at the Macedonians, but do you know who you need to look to most of all? Anybody going to take a guess? And throw it out. Jesus, n- Jesus. 99% of the answers rhetorically thrown out in church questions, Jesus. Even if you're wrong, you're still right because it's Jesus. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's like, who who walked the Israelites out of the Red Sea? Jesus. I mean, Moses was a type of Jesus, so you're still right. You know what I'm saying? Okay. So he says, look to Jesus. Look at this, verse 9. For you know, this is... Mm, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Isn't that a good verse? Like, that is the gospel. That's worthy of another read. Okay, here we go. Verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, He had heaven, streets of gold. He had it all, the whole world. Unhindered communion with the Father. He traded all of that and became sin so that us who were sinful could experience perfection. He traded heaven so that earth could experience heaven he gave it all so that we could have it all he died so that we could live Paul is saying this whole idea of generosity is based most of all in Jesus it's based in Jesus and what's cool is that it's it's more than a good virtue it's the nature of God so when you when you are generous you are literally lining up with who God is and his nature that's what he's saying. And what happens is it leads to a pretty cool result. And this is what's really interesting about this passage, verse 13. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard pressed. He's like, "Man, listen, we're not trying to take care of these guys while you all of a sudden all of you're struggling, all, all you know, uh, all of a sudden." He says, "No, but that there might be equality." Very interesting. That, that, that word just caught me off guard this week. He says, at the present time, your plenty will supply what they need so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. The goal is equality. He's like, if we're a part of the family, we want everybody who's a part of the family to be taken care of. And guess what the heart of God is? that everybody is a part of the family. I mean, it's beautiful. And then he uses this this Exodus 16 reference, as it is written, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. So many great lessons here. I just wanna walk away with three of them. Three thoughts for you, okay? As we apply kingdom generosity in our life, as we let more of Jesus take control of our life, This is it, kingdom generosity, first of all, is a response to ultimate generosity. Second, kingdom generosity is a sacrifice. And third, kingdom generosity is a light. It's a response, it's a sacrifice. And it's a light. Now, I know Paul's coaching us. We're going on a growth thing. We're in the gym. We're getting exercised here. So, we're, this is a stretch for us, stretch for me, stretch for all of us as we move into this first campaign. So, we're going to grow a little bit. All right. So, let's, before we walk through these things, turn to three people and say, well, here we grow again. Come on, tell three people, here we grow again. Here we grow again. Okay. First of all, first of all, kingdom generosity is a response to ultimate generosity now i'm gonna i'm gonna jump to chapter 9 just for a second it's at the very end of this whole this whole diatribe that he's doing in this section of second corinthians but he says this thanks be to god for his indescribable gift gift he says gift who's he talking about there guys i already told you <laughs> <laughs> jesus <laughs> He's talking about Jesus. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Jesus was God's gift. He was God's gift. Tim Keller, Pastor Tim Keller says this, Jesus is the only person ever born to be given. He was given. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he he gave. He gave his one and only son. Jesus was a gift. Everything in our theology, everything in our faith, in our Christianity, in our standing certainly of generosity has to be rooted in this understanding that God gave Jesus. And because of that, we are immensely blessed. Amen? I mean, this goes back to the Abrahamic blessing, like that God blessed Abraham so that nations could be blessed through him Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of that. So Jesus, Jesus opens up blessing. Now here's the thing, that's true for every believer in Christ all throughout history. That's true, that we are greatly blessed. We are immensely blessed. But I think it is exceedingly true for all of us. I think it's exceedingly true for all of us. We're blessed just because we have Jesus, but let's just be honest, we're very blessed. We're very blessed. In this time, at this place, I don't, I mean, I don't know. This has got to be one of the most blessed eras, financially, materially, in, 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 in the course of history. And the mark of Christian maturity is understanding that that blessing comes from God. It comes from God. Now, some of, as soon as I say that, some of you are like, no, 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 it doesn't. It comes from me, Scott. <laughs> like, I have worked for this. I went to school. I grinded. I worked at Waffle House. Ate ramen for three meals a day. I sacrificed to get here. I scraped to get here. I am where I am because I worked hard. But who gave you the opportunity to do all of it? God. Who gave you breath in your lungs? Who appointed you? If you were born in this country, who appointed you to be born here? God. And Paul is trying to get the Corinthians to understand that the gift that they have in being a wealthy church is a gift from God, certainly for their enjoyment, but for his glory and the benefit of others. And he's using an Old Testament idea and this was the verses 13 through 15 where he says, the one who gathered much did not have too little and the one who gathered little did not have too much. What's he talking about? In your Bibles, you'll notice there's a little footnote there. And it will take you to Exodus chapter 16, which is the Israelites when they're in the, the wilderness and they're, they're, they're hungry, they're looking for food and God miraculously provides manna from heaven. You guys remember manna from heaven? Like It's like this wafer that they don't know what it is, but just miraculously appears every day out on the grass. Like, it just appears there. And so, they can, like, they can eat it. They can make stuff with it. But every day, they have to go collect it. So, every day, people go out there. They, they put, get it together, put it in some baskets, and it's, it's out there every morning. So, what he's saying is, when, when you go out there, everybody gets some and then share it. That's what they were supposed to do in Exodus 16. And Paul's saying that's how you should look at your generosity right now. What's he saying? He's saying, like, hey, listen, some of us, some of some of the Israelites, were faster than others. So they'd get up in the morning, get out of their tent, and they'd just run through. You know, they're getting all the best wafers. You know, they're getting all the best manna. All right? They're getting it all together. Some people were just stronger. They go out there, you know, and they're putting it on their back. They can carry four bushels of manna, you know, they're walking through. Some people are better administrators. So they're like, hey, let's get together. I've got four people. How about we do this? And we're going to tackle it because I know where the good manna is. And you got some, like, sharp leaders, and they're taking advantage of it. So you got some of that happening. But then you got some people who are sick, some people who are older, some people who are not as fast. And he's saying, listen, I want you to understand they want to take care of everybody what did he say twice in that passage that there should be equality equality very very interesting and he's saying i want you to understand that what you have is a gift from god okay you can do some things better than others right and some of you are really good at some stuff and you know it come on somebody like you're like ah, i mean sure <laughs> i am <laughs> and i'll tell you about it if you give me an opportunity <laughs> Some of you have been blessed. Where does that blessing come from? It comes from God. It's understanding that what we have and who we are is from God. LeBron James, okay, 6'8", 265-ish. He's been able to dunk a basketball since he was probably like nine. (laughs) Never been able to dunk a basketball. (laughs) I'm sorry, in my room with those little closet rims, boom, I tear them up. Like I tear them up, you know what I'm saying? Tear them up. <laughs> but on a ten foot rim, I'm getting some of the net. I can I can kind of grab some of the net <laughs> sometimes. What did LeBron James do to get his gifting? I mean, he, he went to the gym, but like his size, his strength, his hops from God. I mean, you can look at other people. You can look at Elon Musk. You can look at Oprah Winfrey. You can look at Steve Jobs. People who've worked hard but had immense creativity and talent that they put to work. Where did they get all of that stuff? They got it from God. And here's what I'm trying to say. Put all of those people in China in the 1500s in a rice paddy. Different story. But you and I have an opportunity right now, an amazing opportunity. We've been given great resource for such a time as this. And and that's and what is what is what is it? What is the opportunity for? That there should be equality, that everybody in the house is taken care of, that people who need counseling can get counseling. That people who have benevolent needs can get benevolent needs. That moms and dads can be taken care of. That students can have a place to find and follow Jesus. And that everybody in this community who is not a part of the family can have an opportunity to be a part of the family. That there should be equality. We have this moment, y'all, for such a time as this, to literally move the kingdom forward. That's what, he's, that's what he's doing with Exodus 16. But there's another thing he's doing. It's a little subtle thing. Because as he's talking about Exodus 16, the people know what he's talking about. They know the story. Because you go and you gather the manna, right? You're only supposed to gather for one day. If you gather too much, you know what happens to it? It spoils. It rots. And he's, he's making a subtle jab at the, and he's trying, to, he's trying to clarify an understanding of what happens when you hoard too much money. When you make your life all about your money, what happens to your soul? It rots. It's true, isn't it? Like, we see this all over, don't we? Now, in all fairness, it's easier to see this in other people, as most things. It's like, man, that person is all about themselves. Oh, my goodness. Every time my wife and I, we, we, every time we have, like, a moment like that, or it's like, I try to be like, but what about us? Where, where's the mirror here? Where's the mirror? And what, what, where am I like that? And Paul is trying to get us to see that, that we all are capable of this. If we're not careful. Okay, so Scott, what's the answer? Generosity. Generosity is the answer to greed. And that's what Paul says. That leads me to the second thought, which is this Kingdom generosity is sacrificial. It's sacrificial. If you want to give to the kingdom, it's rooted in the fact that God has been generous to us, and it should look sacrificial. Real generosity isn't a, isn't a tip. It's like, oh, here's a, here's, a, here's a few few coins. And watch what Paul does in, in, in verse two. He says, in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in, what well, you would think he would say, in well wishes. They sent some cards. They don't have a lot of money, so they prayed for us. Now, rich generosity. and He says, for I testify that they gave as much as they were able. In fact, they even gave beyond their ability. He says, you know what generosity really looks like? Giving beyond what you're able. You know what that means? Sacrificial. That means saying no to some things so that you can say yes to the best things. That's what it looks like. It's like going without a few lattes and going without maybe even a new car or or taking some of the, the stuff that you have that you don't really need, selling it and, and giving it, like, that's what he's saying here. Now, this is something that's really important for us because in our, in our American culture, comfort is king, right? Comfort is king, and, and, and as Christians, if you're a Christian, you have to continue to ask yourself, how can I challenge the culture, how can I challenge the cultural narrative with my, with my faith? And part of this is, is comfort is king. And you can see this in the Lincoln commercials. How many love those Lincoln commercials? You know what I'm saying? Like, they're so good, <laughs> they look so good. Like, And if you have a Lincoln, okay, this is not a slight, okay? So, all right, I love Lincolns. In Jesus' name, one day, you know, like, that'd be great. But here's the point, the commercial is, This uh, mom's driving home, looks like she's had a long day, she drives into the, the driveway, walks into the house and there's chaos. Have you seen this commercial? There's chaos all over the house, like stuff's everywhere and kids are like swinging from the chandelier. Like it's just, you know, it's crazy. So literally she opens the door, she's like excited to see her family and then she just shuts the door and walks out and gets into her Lincoln SUV, which has heated and cooled seats, premium uh, sound system and massagers. Come on, somebody. Like, how many know, like, it's God's will that you have a chair, like, a car with a massager? I'm just kidding. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. Like, but, like, that's, like, that's amazing. And, and we were like, we're like, oh, one day, wouldn't that be, oh, yeah, comfort, comfort. Amer- In America, comfort is king. But what if the goal of life is not actually more comfort? What if the goal in life is actually more kingdom? And I don't think those two things coalesce really all that often. You see a king who leaves heaven, who trades heaven. That's what he says, right? He says, look at Jesus. What if the goal wasn't getting more? What if the goal is actually giving more? What if the goal is actually more generosity? Could that lead to greater life? I believe that it does. That's what, that's what Solomon says, guy who had everything. Proverbs 11 says, a generous person will prosper and whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. More stuff you have, the more you, it controls you, the more Scrooge-like you become. The more you share, the more you open up, the more you partner, the more you give, and that giving will cost you something. This is this is real sacrificial generosity. That's what Paul's trying to get across. That's why he uses Jesus. He says, "You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, who was rich for your sake became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich." The Corinthians are all concerned about money, and he's like Do you know who had more money than you? Jesus. And he gave, he he walked away from all of it so that he could come and live among us so that we could all experience it. That's what he's saying. You know what he's saying? They, They got, Jesus understood the big picture, but it wasn't without sacrifice. In fact, we know. Garden of Gethsemane, right? Going a little farther, he fell with his face to to the ground. He prayed, my father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, as you will. He's like, God, this is going to be really hard. The cross was not a vacation. The cross was not a Lincoln. It was not comfortable. It was a sacrifice. Why did he do it? Hebrews 12, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross what is the joy that Jesus had that caused him to go through with all of it? You. That's the joy. As he's in that garden, as he's praying, this is gonna be horrible. He's thinking, but, but they're gonna be there in Lee's Summit and they're gonna have their issues. and They're gonna have their struggles and they're gonna need God for the joy set before him. He's thinking about the big picture. He's thinking about moving the kingdom forward. And there's, 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 no, there's no greater, this is true. This is true in relationships. Tell me, tell me if it's not. This is true in relationships. When someone like gives up what they have, for you, isn't it the most beautiful thing in the planet? Like, even if it's simple, like it is that last piece of pizza, you know, and, and it was like, I want you to have it. There's nothing more beautiful than sacrificial generosity, there's nothing more beautiful than grace. It is the most powerful force in the universe. I'm giving you something, you don't deserve it, I'm just giving it. That's sacrificial generosity. That's what he's talking about. And when it comes to our generosity, it should make us feel a little uncomfortable. It should put us out of our comfort zones a little bit. When you look at that pledge number, you should be like, mm. If you're like, yeah, that's great, I'm good. Yeah, we can do that tomorrow. Like that, I mean, I'm just saying, sacrificial generosity should make us go, ooh, I'm going to miss that. (laughs) That's going to hurt. I'm going to have to change a little bit of my lifestyle to make that happen. But I'm willing to do it because my life is not only about this life. It's about a kingdom. It's about a kingdom and a king who left his kingdom so that I could experience it for the joy that was set before him. So for that very same joy, the joy of seeing people get baptized, the same joy of seeing people experience freedom from addictions, the same joy of seeing people, the light bulb come on and they realize, man, there is a God and he loves me. For that joy, I'm willing to give it's a sacrifice and the last thought and it's a brief one i'll have the worship team come and it's this is kingdom generosity is a light it's a light matthew chapter 5 says you are the light of the world a town built on a hill cannot be hidden Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. I've been thinking about that idea in that verse as it relates to what's happening and what's going to happen with our facility. And if you know where it is, if you've been there. You know we bought the, the building next to it, where it's going to be our ministry center, junior high student programs, counseling, grief recovery, offices, connection spaces. Everybody knows that building. It's, it's been around in at least summer for a long time. It kind of sits there, kind of at the top of a hill, and you can't drive by without seeing it. You can't be within 200 <laughs> yards without two, maybe even more than that, without seeing it. Half a mile seeing that building is huge. And that building is going to be used for the glory of God, for the glory of God. And I've been thinking about this. I've been thinking that as we build out this space and we're going to make it amazing, we're going to make it a place for people to find and follow Jesus and experience freedom. As people drive by, it's going to be this campus that's literally set on a hill in a great, best location in our city. They're going to drive by and they're going to say, man, God's doing something there. What's happening? And why would they do that? My hope is that as we invite them to things like tailgate and Easter and Christmas, we put signs out there. It's like, come, come and see. Because do you know why we did all of this? Sure, we did it for better connection spaces and places for our kids to grow up and experience Jesus. Absolutely for generations to come. But what we did it for primarily is we did it for you. We did it for you. I want every person who's driving by to say they, did, they want me with all of my issues, with all of my shortcomings, with all of my failures. They want me because God wants me. That's what this is all about. And if I can use some of what I have, uh, not sub, a chunk that hurts a little bit sacrificially to make that happen. Man, I want, I want to be a part of that. Now, here's the thing. This only applies if you believe any of this. If you believe there's a God who sent his son, who's redeeming the world. If you don't, then I get it. Keep your stuff. <laughs> but if you believe... If you believe any of this, this is where we want to be as believers. And that's why Paul's so bold on it. That's, that's, what I'm, that's what I'm realizing. That's why he's so bold. He's like, this is where you want to be. Life is short. The opportunity is great. Let's make heaven more crowded. Amen? Amen. So there's a pledge card on your seat. We're going we're gonna to take this. And again... I'm going to dip into 9 just for a sec, chapter 9. Paul says this, you should be, don't, don't give under compulsion. Don't let this be an emotional thing because we got the keys pad up here, you know, playing some music right now. That's not what this is about. Let this be because this is hitting your heart, this is hitting your head, this is hitting your soul, and you're like, God, I want to be a part of this. And let's give cheerfully, and let's believe God to do something great. So let's fill out that pledge card if you would. We're going to believe God to do something powerful through, through, uh, through our generosity. There's a card on your seat. There's a pen there. Uh, if you, I'd love to invite you to be a part of this. We're going to pass the buckets here in just a second as we worship. But I want to encourage you to fill that out. Put your name. Put, your, put the amount that you feel like God's speaking. Some of you, it's your first time interacting with this. Like, man, we need to pray about this. Great. That's cool. You can pray. Come back next week. And let's give. And let's believe God to do something powerful. But can, let me pray for us. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you so much for your grace. Thank you for what you are doing. Thank you for this word. So challenging and inspiring and encouraging all at the same time. And, Lord, we pray that you would use what we are doing. Stretch us, challenge us, Lord. Develop kingdom-mindedness in us. And, God, we just thank you so much for it. We give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen amen. We ask the worship team to lead us at both locations. We'll have the the host pass out the buckets as uh, as you're ready to stand. Go ahead and stand and worship, and uh, we'll just respond to God.